references rewards that will be given to those who believe in Christ. But what are these rewards and where can we find this in scripture? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In this episode of Evidence and Answers, Pat will be talking with pastor, author, and Christian apologist, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, as they discuss his latest book entitled, heavenly rewards now on to today's show and so my view is that it's right after we're caught up to heaven at the rapture that's when the bema judgment or this judgment seat occurs and i get that from first corinthians 4 5 where paul says you know don't go on uh, judging uh, before the time but wait until the lord comes who will bring to light the things hidden in darkness he'll disclose the motives of men's hearts and then each man's praise will come to him from god so you notice there it says when the Lord comes, he's going to disclose the motives of men's hearts and so on. So it's when Christ comes that this will happen. So I believe that one of these days the trumpet's going to sound, uh, the, 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 we're going to have the shout of the archangel, we're going to be caught up to heaven, all of us, and those who've died is, uh, during this church age will be resurrected. And the first order of business when we get to heaven will be for each one of us as believers to stand and take our place before the Lord and that to be evaluated and have our life as a believer reviewed. Now, I don't think we're going to be reviewed for things that happened before we became a Christian, because you know that, that was before we even had the power to even serve God in any way. And again, as I said earlier, I don't think it's going to be, have anything to do with our sins. But we'll stand before him then to be reviewed. So, so my view would be it's, during, it's in heaven after the rapture while the tribulations period's going on down on earth. And then at the end of that time, we'll be presented to Christ, um, as the bride, we'll have what's called the, the marriage of the Lamb, and then we'll return with Jesus back to earth at his second coming, and then the millennial kingdom, Christ's reign on the earth, will be what's called the marriage supper, uh, where the marriage of Christ to his bride will be celebrated during that time. So anyway, that's a little bit more than answering that question, but hopefully that'll give the listeners a little bit of a panorama of kind of where, where things are going. Yeah, so Mark, if the Bema Seat judgment occurs at the rapture, what about those who have died? The rapture hasn't occurred yet. What about those who have died and are in heaven? Do they have to wait for their rewards until the rapture? No, my view is is that one of these days, you know, again, everybody who's on earth, you know, uh, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 16 and 17, he says, you know, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So if, a, if someone dies today who's a believer, and uh, their body's placed in the ground, and they, the, the immaterial part of that person, the soul, the spirit, goes immediately to be with Christ. And at the rapture, when it takes place, it says the dead in Christ will rise first. That's talking about their body. Their body is going to be resurrected and be rejoined with their perfected spirit. It's going to be an immortal, imperishable, incorruptible body. Those of us who are alive, we're going to get that imperishable, immortal, incorruptible body in a split second of time without dying. So... Those who've died in Christ and those who are alive in Christ then will all appear, I think, together at the judgment seat of Christ. So at the rapture of the living, there will also be a resurrection of the deceased believers at that time. And so all of us will appear together there at the judgment seat. Yes, yeah, so those who have died and they're in heaven now, what state are they in? Well, there's two different views, two main views. Some believe that when a person dies 
during this age, before their body's resurrected, they have a temporary body. Um, they base that, a lot of people do, on Second Corinthians chapter 5, and when this tent you know, that we live in is torn down, we have a building from God. In other words, there's a temporary body before the final body's resurrected. Now, I don't hold that view. I take it that when someone dies, until they get their resurrected body, they live in a disembodied state. Now, that kind of freaks some people out, you know. <laughs> but we, you know, all we know is, is corporeal existence, you know. But, but he says there in Second Corinthians 5, he says, yeah, I'd rather be clothed upon than be naked. And so the idea of being naked, I think, means temporarily being without a body. So, but, you know, I, I do think you'll say a person dies today and they go to be with the Lord and the rapture doesn't happen for 10 more years. You know, time will go quickly in heaven. You know, the old saying is, you know, if time flies when you're having fun, uh, you'll be in heaven. I mean, it's going to go quickly, that disembodied state. And then, you know, their, their body will be resurrected and be reunited with their perfected spirit. But, you know, if it makes people feel better to think we're going to have a, a temporary body uh, during that period of time so we're not disembodied, there's certainly biblical biblical warrant for that, but I just think the the majority of the evidence favors the idea of being disembodied during that time. Now, at the Bema Seat, how will Jesus judge us? I mean, what will be the criteria for his judgment there? Well, there's a lot of things uh, that are mentioned, and in, in the book I've written called Heavenly Rewards, I go through about 14 or 15 things uh, that God is going to judge us for, that, that Jesus is going to judge us for, and I like this because if you read the Bible, if you get it, want to get a copy of the book and, and read through and look at these things, these are the test questions, really, if you will, that God has given us ahead of time. It's like if you're taking an exam at school and the teacher tells you, hey, you know, the test is tomorrow, but let me give you the questions tonight so you can go home and review. Well, you know, you'd be thinking, man, this is great. You'd be writing them down you know, furiously to get these questions ahead of time. And God's given us the different criteria, the different test questions, if you will, and I'll just mention a few of them, and then if you want to drill down on a few others, we can do that. But one is how we treat other believers. It says in Hebrews 6.10 that God's not unjust to forget our work and the love that you've shown toward his name, having ministered to and still ministering to the saints. He says, look, if you minister to God's people, God won't forget what you do. Um, it's going to be a reward. And it's tragic sometimes in the church and the body of Christ, we don't treat other believers like we should. One of the things God's going to look at is, how do I treat my fellow believers? Do I love them and care about them? Another one is how generous we are with our money. Uh, you know, there's an old saying that you, you can't take it with you, but according to the Bible, you can send it on ahead. Uh, you yeah. know, Jesus said that, you know, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Other passages, many passages of Scripture talk about the idea of our money being a treasure that's being laid up in heaven for us. So I think it's Randy Alcorn in one of his books, you know, says as believers, we're either moving toward our treasure or moving away from our treasure, uh, one or the other. If you're laying up treasure in heaven, then we're moving toward our treasure. Um, sadly, a lot of people are moving away from their treasure because the only treasure they have is here on this earth. I mean, you know, related to that is how we support other people in ministry. I think a lot of people don't realize this, but people who give to a ministry they get a reward in, based on what that ministry has accomplished. You know, so, for instance, you know, the ministry that you have, people who support you are going to get a portion of the reward for that because they helped support you to do it. I mean, you can't do what you do if people don't help, right. help support you. And so when they support you, they get a profit's reward, uh, the Bible says. And I think that's really uh, an injunction to us to be careful what we give to, you know, to, to plant our financial seed in good soil 
because we're going to get a reward based on what that person did with the money and the resources we gave. And so to me, that's encouraging. You know, a lot of people may not be able to be in ministry themselves or, or, or feel like they're doing much, but when they're giving money, uh, Jesus said he, he receives a prophet in the name of a prophet, receives a, a prophet's reward. And, and so that's a very important thing to remember uh, for us. So, you know, how we endure trials and suffering, I kind of mentioned that earlier, how we accept injustice and mistreatment, how we spend our time, how effectively we control our body and the desires of our body. So a lot of different different things that we'll be rewarded for. I'm in scripture. If there's if there's any in that list that you want to you know look at in more detail, then you you can feel free to do that. So I'm gonna just keep going on mentioning these. Yes, you know one of the things you talk about is the importance of uh, motives behind what we do. Uh, I think that's an important point to bring up. It is, and that's probably the most searching really of all the issues. You know, God looks at what what we do. He looks at how we do it, but he also looks at why we do it. And I quoted that verse earlier, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. It says, you know, don't go on judging before the time, but wait until the Lord comes. He'll bring to light the things hidden in darkness, and he will expose the motives of men's hearts. And then it says, and each man's praise will come to him from God. So you and I can do good things in service to the Lord, but one of the things that can taint our service and cause what we did to not be rewardable is that we did it with a wrong motive. And I think if we're honest... A lot of what we do probably is not done with a proper motive. And uh, we do it to get praise from people or to, to, to get something else um, other than please God and, and receive praise from Him. You know, Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 6 talks about giving your money. He talks about praying. He talks about fasting. And he says, if you do those things to be seen by men, he said, you already have your re- reward. So what he's basically saying there is, if you give some money, to a ministry and you're doing that so that people will say wonderful things about you and all of that he says you better enjoy whatever praise they give you because that's all you're going to get <laughs> he says there you've re- you've received your reward in full and so jesus cares very much about why we do what we do and so i think that's a a very important thing for us to remember and maybe if we begin to sense that we're doing something for a wrong reason to repent of that immediately and say lord help me to do this with a pure motive to do it for you and, and to, to boast in your name and not my own. Yeah, I think that's why Jesus says, you know, when you give, give in secret. When you pray, go into your closet so that, you know, your motives, you know, are indeed pure before right. the Lord. And I tell people, you know, if Pastor so-and-so or, or even myself, I'm on the radio or I'm preaching and teaching in front of hundreds, and that can be ego-fulfilling, you know. It can be, yeah. but, but the usher who is out there, who nobody knows his name, handing out bulletins, fixing chairs, he may, when we get to heaven, he may have the greater reward than the guy who was yeah. up there preaching from the pulpit uh, because right. of yeah. what you just said, motives. No, that's right. Our motives, and it's a, motives are a very slippery thing. You know, they really are. And I, you know, I'm like you, I preach a lot and teach a lot and do a lot of things. And I just try not to think about it, you know, just do it and do it for the Lord and love the people that are there and try to not do that. But the problem is if we begin to think very long about what we're doing or how many people are there or if someone gives us a compliment, if we keep thinking about that and two hours, three hours later, we're still just kind of nursing that compliment, you know, that we got and just kind of savoring that. It's it's nice. And I really appreciate it when I speak or do something. People come up and say something nice to me. That's a good thing to do because it's encouraging. But we've got to let it be encouragement but then not 
carry it on too long to where it becomes a, uh, something to where we, we're just uh, you know taking that to ourselves and it's kind of inflating us in pride. Yeah, now I'm thinking about the guy out there saying, well, you know, we really don't do anything uh, with 100% pure motives. There's some selfishness in there, so how can anyone get any reward, Mark? Well, that's a good question. I've thought about that a lot myself. You know, I used to hold the idea that some Christians won't get any reward. Um, that they're, you know, it talks about in Corinthians, First Corinthians 3, you know, some will be saved so as through fire. You know, it's kind of just getting through the fire. You know, they'll be saved, but it'll be kind of like coming through the fire. All they'll have left is just their clothes on their back. Um, I heard old J. Vernon McGee say years ago, you know, some believers after they go through the, the uh, fire test are going to smell like they were bought at a fire sale. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, that certainly can be true. But but I do think God will find something to reward in every believer's life. And I base that on 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Again, that verse I've quoted a couple times. But the last phrase says, and each man's praise will come to him from God. And it's in the singular there, you know, each person. And we often think, well, what about somebody who got saved when they're 85 or 90 or somebody even on their deathbed conversion? But I think God will find something to reward in the life of every believer. And we have to remember that any reward we receive ultimately is going to be as a result of the grace of God. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah. save myself. God saved me. I mean, I, I believe that God even came and gave me the faith to believe. And then after I became a believer, God gave me the Holy Spirit to live inside of me, to empower me and to energize me and to energize my affections for the Lord to do things for him. And so I didn't save myself. I don't empower or energize myself. Yet someday God is going to reward me. So it's all grace. And that's why I think, too, in 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about how some build their house with gold, silver, precious stones, and some with wood and hay and stubble. Now, we know the wood, hay, and stubble are worthless things, but notice when he says we build, some use gold and silver and precious stones. Some have made the idea that those are kind of almost grades as well. You know, In other words, not everything's gold, but it may be silver, it may be precious stones. So, you know, if something is tainted a little bit by our motives, we may still get a reward, but not as much reward. So so that's that's kind of how some people look at that. But what it basically comes down to is whatever rewards we receive are going to be by the grace of God. And for me, the things that I think I'll be rewarded for are probably the things I didn't even know that I really did. Because if I have much time to think about it, I probably will mess it up with some bad motive or bad thought. But I know sometimes probably I do things I don't even know I do them. And that's probably some of the things that I'll probably be rewarded most highly for. Yeah, now Mark, let's talk about that passage we've quoted several times here, 1 Corinthians 3. It talks about that the foundation being Christ, and of course that can't be removed, but our works will be tested by fire and some will be burned up. So are you saying that the things that we've done on this earth will be tested by fire and some of the things that we've invested our life in are just going to be like burned up? Yeah, that's what he seems to say there, yeah. In 1 Corinthians 3 there, Paul's talking about really his work at Corinth. He'd been there for a year and a half, and he'd laid the foundation of the church. And the foundation was Jesus Christ. And others came were building on that, and he's saying how they build is going to be judged. But I think we can expand that passage beyond that to our lives as well as believers, that the foundation's been laid, which is Jesus, and then we choose what we're going to build with. We can build with gold and silver and precious stones. We all know what that is. That's stuff that's valuable and stuff that's going to last. Or we can build with wood, hay, and straw or stubble. And we all know what that is. It, that, that's easier to build with. I mean, you can build quicker, but it's not valuable and isn't going to last. 
And he says, one of these days, the, the, the building inspector is going to come, if you will, and inspect our building. And he's going to put the fire to it. And whatever remains, that's what's going to be rewarded. And I love it there. It says he's going to test the quality of each man's work. I love that. He doesn't say the quantity of it. I think God wants quantity and quality. He's, he's fine with that. But he's more interested in the quality than the quantity. And I think, you know, a lot of people today are out building ministries or building churches or doing things, and they're, they're doing it just to do it quickly. They're just using wood, hay, and straw, but not something that's going to last or stand the test of time. And so all of us need to look at that in our lives. You know, what am I using to build with? Am I just kind of taking the easy path and grabbing what's ever at hand to do it? Or am I really basing what I'm doing um, upon the Word of God and doing it in a way that may take longer, it may be more difficult, but it's going to last. It's going to have ultimate value. But then when he says the day is going to declare it, it's going to be, you know, each man's the, the work's going to be burned up. I don't think it means there that the person will be burned up because it says that, that, that the person says, and he will be saved yet so as through fire. So it's the works and what we've done that either wasn't done for the Lord or done with a wrong motive or in some wrong way. That's what's going to go up in smoke. But the believer himself or herself will be saved. So you know, there's going to be a lot of stuff that we think that we did for the Lord that was really some great work that may go up in smoke. That's a sobering thing to think about. But if we're a believer at the judgment seat, we're going to be saved because the judgment seat isn't to determine if we get into heaven or not. It's to review and evaluate our lives and to reward us based on that. Yes. Now, based on that passage there, and this is something that many of us may not have realized, but will there be a feeling of remorse or sadness at the judgment seat? Well, I think there has to be some because, you know, we're not going to know less in heaven than we know now. So it's not like we're going to be there in heaven at the judgment seat and we're not going to know the opportunities we had or the things we could have done that we shouldn't have done. In fact, we're going to know more then than we know now. It talks about in, at the end of 1 John chapter 2 that, you know, that we need to, to live a, a life that's pleasing to God so we don't shrink away from him in shame at his coming. You know, mentions in the book of Revelation that he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes, you know, at that point in time in the future. So many believe that there will be regret, shame, you know, remorse at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't see how we can get away from that because we're going to know the opportunities we've had. You know, I have shame and remorse now many times, you know, about opportunities I had that I didn't seize. And what I would say to that, though, to counterbalance that, while there will be some shame and regret and remorse there, I don't think that will be the overwhelming sense of emotion that we have. I still think the overwhelming emotion we'll have at the judgment seat will be joy. And I base that on the book of Jude. At the very end of Jude, it says that we're going to stand in his glorious presence, blameless, with great joy. So I think the overriding emotion will be joy, that we're there, that you know, we're there, that, that Christ is there, that we're there with God's people. But I do think that mixed in with that will be some regret and, and remorse and, and, and pain. I don't see how that can, how that can be not be present. You know, cause we're gonna we're gonna know a lot when we're there. We're gonna know what we could have done and should have done with our life. Yes, you know. And on top of that, Second John eight states, uh, "Watch yourself so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward." And Revelation three eleven. Christ says, hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. So can rewards be lost? 
Yeah, I believe they can. Now, I, when, I, when it says that you know rewards can be lost, I don't think it means that that God is going to give us a reward and then take it back. So I don't think it means you know you get it and then you lose it. What I think it means is you you lose the the reward that you could have gotten when you get to heaven. It's really interesting when you look at scripture about rewards being forfeited. There's several different ways that reward can be forfeited. One is they can be uh, forfeited by default. I think that is by you know failing to be faithful in what we're doing. We just kind of do something for a while, but then maybe we default and we quit doing it. So, you know, we just kind of give up, and, and by default, we lose that reward. We can also lose rewards, I think, by what I call defect. And that's kind of what we've been talking about for a little bit here, how we do what we do or why we do what we do. So by, by some defect in our service, it, what we do may be a good thing, but it may be done with the wrong motive, and we can lose it by defect. But we can also lose reward by disqualification. You know, even the Apostle Paul, think about this, as great as Paul was, he said, I buffet my body. It means I discipline my body so that I myself, having preached to others, might not be disqualified. And the word disqualified there doesn't mean he would lose his salvation. Um, it's a word that was actually used in the games of that day, the athletic games. When someone was disqualified for breaking the rules, they would say that that person was adakamas. It's the Greek word, disqualified. And that's the word Paul uses there. So Paul says, look, even me, even, even the great apostle, if I don't do what God's called me to do, I can even be disqualified from receiving a reward in the future. So certainly if Paul could be disqualified, so can we. And so we need to read the Bible and try to carry out the various things that Scripture tells us to do because reward can be forfeited or can be lost for all of eternity. Yes, not only do we have to start the race, we've got to finish and finish That's well. Right. Yeah, you know, I think of the great Joe Paterno, you know, who set the records for the most wins, I think, of any collegiate coach. Statue was made of him and, and reward and scholarship in his name, but it was all lost, right. you know, at, at the very end of his life. A very tragic story because I believe one of his top assistant coaches was found molesting a child, and he actually knew about it and didn't say anything. And all his life's work in the end was lost. I think it completely broke his heart, and I think that's what led to his death. So it's a sobering thought that as believers, yeah, we got the joy of going to salvation, but knowing that seeing some of our lifetime achievements and all that we invested burned up in the fire there, or knowing that perhaps we lost some of the rewards. No, that's right. It's a, That's a sobering thought. And a lot of believers, I think, are just kind of sitting on the sidelines a lot, really not doing much, not sacrificing very much. Again, we don't do these things to gain our salvation, but once we become a believer, God is, is looking at what we're doing, and he's evaluating us. And I think that a lot of believers, again, I, I hope that you know what we're talking about here today will be a comfort to people and a help, but I pray that it also be a little, be a little bit of conviction and a challenge maybe to many who are listening to say, you know, what am I doing with my life? Uh, someday I'm going to stand before the Lord. I'm going to stand before Jesus. You know, there's an old saying I heard years ago that every one of us are going to have to sing solo before God. <laughs> wow. you, know, I, you know, I can get in a big choir and sound pretty good, you know, but, you, you know, singing solo is a different thing. And it's a, that's a sobering thing. I mean, to, to stand there before the one who created me and say, you, you saved me, you called me out of darkness into the light. And yet, you know, I, I really didn't really do very much, you know, in, in service for you. So again, I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on people, but it's a, I'm just trying to give them a, a really a, a challenge 
to rise up and, and to, when we stand before the Lord, look, all of us are going to be humbled, but it'll be a wonderful thing. You know, Jesus said that we can hear those words, you know, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's, that's what we should strive for in our lives as believers. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, give him a call. That number locally in Hawaii is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran.